You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Guest, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And we are excited to celebrate what God has done in Christ, that we worship a risen Savior today. And we gather each Sunday to proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one and turn uh, in front of you and turn to page 938. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you that as a gift today. And if you uh, would, would be able to take that with you and read, we would love for you to follow along with us. Uh, normally, we walk through books of the Bible together, but because of Easter, we've looked at Luke's account, and we're going to finish Luke's gospel account in chapter 24 this morning, is what Andrew just read for us. And if you're not a believer, again, we want you to know that you are welcomed here today. This is a place for you to ask questions about who we are. It's a place for you to see what the gospel is about, to see people who are changed, not perfect, but changed by the gospel. And we would invite you into knowing this Jesus. As we sang together just a few moments ago, that we want to know this Jesus, the Jesus who has been raised from the grave, this Jesus who gave his life for us. And so as we start this morning, we're going to look here at Luke 24. And you might know, you might have seen stats or reports or articles, but anxiety and depression, they, the, the, the reports are coming out, they're saying from the last couple of years are up at least 15, 20, and maybe even up to 25%. Anxiety and depression up 25%. Whether it's COVID, social media, civil unrest, or war. It's been a hard couple years. It's been hard to be quarantined or isolated. It's been hard to watch the news. It's hard to watch uh, rage in a lot of ways in our world. If you come today and you are tired of those things, if they make your heart sad and gloomy and disappointed, Easter is for you today. Easter is the news that while all those things are true, and we live in a broken world, there is a God who stepped into the mess for you. I don't know where you come from today, but this story of a risen Savior, He came to save you. And if you find yourself in gloom or despair or disappointment this morning, this story is for you. It's for us that we get to to know this Jesus. And so as we start, we're going to look here. Here's what we're going to see. Luke details the events of the resurrection morning as Jesus confirms his teaching through God's divine plan. And if you're a disciple today, as a church, if you're new here, we talk about making mature disciples. That everything we do is focused on growing in our faith together to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And so if you are a disciple today, this is what we should know. This is what we should do. Jesus must be recognized as the resurrected Messiah who offers his presence to us. 
This king, this Jesus, this Messiah has been raised. And he is the one that we worship. And not only do we worship him, he offers his presence to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look here this morning, we're going to notice that we need this truth, don't we? We need to recognize that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah. We need hope. And it's not just that we need hope. We need hope outside of ourselves. That we don't have all the answers. That we can't do everything perfectly. That we can't do everything right. We have a Savior who reigns today. So my prayer this morning as we walk through the text is that we see a resurrected Messiah. I think this is Luke's point. This Jesus has been raised. And there is no doubt. And so as we walk through the story, I want to share with you three observations for the first Easter Sunday. Three observations from the first Easter Sunday. Number one, the words and ministry of Jesus point to his death and resurrection. Look there at verse one. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Let me be very clear. Luke opens this story. These women believe that Jesus is dead. That's why they go to prepare his body. But wait, there's a little confusion that happens. Look at verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke focuses here in chapter 24 on the physical body of Jesus being gone. It's not just a spirit. His body is gone. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood before them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified, and they bowed down to the ground. The women were looking for the body of Jesus, but they do not find it, and it causes panic. These two men, they show up. Here's the problem, though. The disappearance of the body of Jesus only causes confusion when one does not recognize that Jesus is Lord. So these men, they stand before them, which we know are angels. Luke tells us this in verse 23 of chapter 24. And they're in these dazzling clothes. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying it is necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and raised on the third day. These angels, they, pro- they provide a mild rebuke to these women. Don't you remember How many times did he need to tell you? Each of the gospel accounts tell for us that Jesus at least shared about his death three times. And in that, though, he would also say, yes, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. This was not new news for them. They knew this. And what do the angels do? They say, you need to remember his words. You need to remember the ministry that Jesus has been with you for the last three years. They must recall these words because the words clarify the situation. It may be confusing at first, but when they remember his words, there's only one reality, that he has risen from the grave. And so these women, they, they should have been expecting Jesus to rise the whole time, but they could not comprehend what God was doing If you remember, angels showed up in the beginning of Luke's gospel account to proclaim what God was doing. That God in the flesh was coming into the world, being born of a virgin, and the angels proclaimed that good news because no one would have known 
if the angels hadn't proclaimed that news. So in the same way, this happens again. The resurrection needs the same kind of divine proclamation. The angels now declare privileged information about what God has done to these women. Jesus has been raised from the grave. We need revelation, don't we? Yet we can look around. Today's a beautiful day outside. We can see. We can go to the ocean. We can see mountains. We can see the desert. That there has to be something that's greater than us that created all this stuff. If we look out into the stars, we look and we see. We see beautiful things and we say something out there had to create this. But we need more than that, don't we? We need, we need God to reveal His plan of redemption to us or we would not know. We need redemptive re- revelation. We need to know the story of the gospel. We need to know that this is what God has done and it's exactly what the angels tell them. We need God to proclaim Himself to us. What are those sources of things you're going after today that they're not going to reveal Jesus to you? What are those things that you trust that are not going to reveal God's plan for your life, that you put more weight in. Look at the reaction of these women, though. Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. Remembering Jesus is vital for both faith and understanding the events of the resurrection. It's vital to understand. Now look at what this remembering causes at verse 9. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These women, they go back, they tell the disciples, and they become witnesses to the resurrection story by reporting everything that they've seen and remembered. Right? These events cannot be forgotten. They cannot be unseen. And so they, they go and they report what has happened. If you were a disciple today, what I want you to know is that the normal outworking of experiencing the power of the resurrection is to tell about it. The normal outworking of God changing your life is an opportunity for us to tell others about what he's done. This is the natural experience for those who come to know Jesus. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them telling the apostles these things. These women were eyewitnesses to the events of the crucifixion and now the resurrection. They traveled with Jesus into Jerusalem, which we we talked about last week. They saw him beaten and mocked and hung on a cross. They witnessed him being buried. And then they discovered the empty tomb. While also hearing the announcement from the angels, these women meet the criteria of a witness in the first century. There's more than one, and they've seen the whole story. And so they tell the disciples, but the disciples don't hear them. They don't respond to them. Why? In the first century, a woman's testimony, even of two, would not be counted in court. They would have not trusted this witness and this eyewitness testimony. One apologetic for for the resurrection of Jesus is that Luke bases his first witnesses on two on these women. If Luke was making up a story, he wouldn't have chose them to be the ones who would tell about it. Luke would have picked somebody else, maybe a Roman guard. But no, he picks these women. Luke doesn't make these things up. Luke is telling us that this Jesus, the body of our Lord and Savior, it is gone because he's risen. 
Look at verse 11. This is, here are the response of the disciples. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. This word for nonsense is this kind of babbling from being delirious, from being sick. They think these women are out of their minds, even though Jesus had told them. Even though Jesus had told them what was going to happen. Why do they think this is nonsense? Because they were not expecting Jesus to rise from the grave. So how did they overcome their skepticism? Look at verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped in to look, he saw only the linen cloths. Another thought for the resurrection is that if someone was going to steal his body, they wouldn't have unwrapped it and laid the cloth there. Uh, Also, the only thing that would be worth any money would be the cloth that he was laid in. So why would the cloth be there other than Jesus has been raised from the grave? So he went away amazed at what had happened. Peter is amazed, right, in a positive way, but he's still unsure of the situation. Peter does not respond negatively, but he does not respond in belief. Right, the proof of Jesus' resurrection comes only to those who have faith and know the words that he has spoken. Faith in Christ must come from trusting his word. And Peter did not remember yet. And the events of the resurrection do not come out of nowhere. Jesus has foretold his death. He has foretold what was going to happen. But they didn't trust him. They were with him for three years. They didn't trust him. And to Peter, now though he, he's amazed, what's going to happen? Right, we've seen that the words of Jesus testify to his death and resurrection, showing that he's the true Messiah. Well, what's going to happen to these, these disciples? We're going to look at verse 13, and we're going to see the second observation this morning. The Old Testament scriptures predict his death and resurrection. Look there at verse 13. Luke's going to transition to a different scene. Now, the same day, two of them were walking on their way. Two of them would have been the disciples, some of the disciples, to a village called Emmaus, and, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Right? They, these disciples could have been heading home. Maybe they said, hey, we don't know what to do. We're going to go back home. And so they're traveling to this village. And Luke also seems to place urgency around these events. Right? He says, on the same day, exactly what had happened here just a few moments ago with these disciples, not much longer, this is what happens. Maybe that the disciples were, they were in danger of falling apart. Who knows? They were hanging on by a thread. Verse 14, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. That is, they're trying to digest the events of Good Friday and even the testimony of the women. But there's confusion about the events of the resurrection again. Verse 15, while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Verse 16, but they were prevented from recognizing him. These men do not recognize Jesus. There's a little bit of divine work here that they were not able to, but there's also this idea that they, because they do not remember the words, they do not remember Christ and what he shared, but also they don't understand the Old Testament. And so they're not going to see him. Although he he comes to them, he is exactly how he would have looked, and they do not recognize him. They will only recognize him when they understand the scriptures. Verse 17, then he asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other while you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. They were sorrowful about these events. 
They were disappointed at the outcome that they had given their lives to Jesus for three years. And this sorrow is important for us to remember. Watch as it unfolds. But I want you to see the irony here. The readers, we, get to see what human blindness looks like to God. But we get to see it from God's perspective. We know that this is Jesus, but they can't see him physically. Right? We can't see him, but we know it is him. Look at how they answer Jesus. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened in these three days? Again, irony. The only person that really knows what happened is Jesus. As they ask him, Do you not know what things? He asked them. So they said to him, These things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a powerful prophet in action and speech before God and all the people. So they just called Jesus a prophet, great with speech, but they don't remember his words. They don't remember his words. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. There's emphasis here from Luke on the suffering of Christ, that this was a crucial and pivotal moment for history. That they don't understand that suffering leads to glory. But now, notice where their hope is in verse 21. But they were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. They thought Jesus was going to put Israel on equal footing with Rome who oppressed them. They thought Jesus was going to come in and make Israel powerful. Their hopes are confined to Jerusalem. They totally missed the point of the Messiah. It's not to give power. It's not to have status, but the Messiah came to die in humiliation on a cross for the sins of the world. Often we get these confused, don't we? The gospel is not one that comes to us and makes us powerful and mighty. The gospel is us recognizing that we must humble ourselves and submit ourselves to this Messiah who the world thought that they killed on a cross but actually was defeating death in that very moment. May we not get these things confused. Their ruin, they thought that the cross was their ruin, at least in their eyes. It was actually what saved them. In God's economy, things are turned upside down. The greater enemy has been defeated, sin and death. But they, they wanted immediate gratification. They didn't want any suffering. They didn't want any cost. And if I'm really honest with you, it can be really easy to walk in this life and say, I don't want any suffering and I want no cost. Let me have Jesus on the side and let me just, let me just do my own thing. But that's not the gospel story. If that's you today, if you're like, you know what, I believe that Jesus is God, but I've not submitted my life to him, then you've not, you've not submitted your life to Jesus at all. We must submit all that we are to him. He must not be something on the side. He must be something that he sits on the throne of our hearts. The Christian life is one of cost. What are you giving up? What are you giving up? Because all of us, in the way we were designed and made, there are good things in this world. And unfortunately, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that we turn those good things and we make them ultimate things. And so if you are here today and you're saying, look, I, I think that Jesus is God, but there are these things that I'm holding on to, I'm going to beg with you, and this is what Luke is saying, you need to submit them to Jesus. Why? 
because he's the resurrected Messiah. It's costly. It's costly to follow him. It was costly for Jesus to go to the cross. But look what happened. There's glory. That Jesus reigns in heaven today as king of all things. So these disciples, their hope is in the wrong place. But also, I want you to see that they have gloom. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Oh, by the way, Jesus is dead and it's been three days and he's not coming back. He's not coming back. In the first century, they believed that once the body had been there for three days, the spirit had left the body. There was no coming back for Jesus at this point in their minds. But there's one flicker of hope. Look there at verse 22. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. Although there's hope, although there's potential that Jesus is alive, they're still confused. These disciples once again need divine proclamation. Look at verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus condemns them not for for believing, but a believing in the heart. This isn't an intellectual failure. It's a heart knowledge. It's what motivates them. Jesus says in verse 26, Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into glory? Of course it was. Death could not hold Jesus down. But death was the vehicle to glory. Glory marks God's overturning of mankind's verdict on Christ. And when Jesus is raised from the grave, it's God saying, This is the true Son. This is the Messiah. And He is resurrected. Even though in His humiliation... He has now been raised. It is this death that overthrows the dominion of darkness. It is this this death that overthrows the power that holds on us. We do not have to be afraid anymore. We do not have to give in anymore. Now notice what Jesus does. He rebukes them, but then then he teaches them. Look at verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them these things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Jesus explains that all the Old Testament scriptures, they point to him. And they reveal God's plan, talking about him. God's plan reaches its climax on Jesus on the cross. And it will reach its final climax when Jesus comes back for his people. But notice... Jesus does not overwhelm these disciples. He doesn't show up to them. He doesn't do some mighty miracle. He doesn't stand in glory to them. What helps them understand the resurrection? It's God's Word. God's Word helps them understand what's happening. Instead of Him showing up and forcing some kind of faith on them and seeing that He's miraculous and glorified and in His deity, Jesus teaches the Bible to them. What needed, the confusion that needed to be cleared up is cleared up through teaching the Bible. I love to see this. I love to see that that the Word of God Himself, Jesus Himself teaches these men. We know Luke tells us that since he was 12 years old, he was a good expositor of God's Word. 
But Jesus has been a faithful expositor his whole life. One, because he's the living word. And two, because he knows God's word. This is why, church, that we preach books of the Bible to you. This is why that we hold this, this is God's word, that we need to hear it and receive it and respond to it. This is the only thing that will change someone from darkness to light. The gospel message in the scriptures for us. We believe that the Bible helps us grow. If you're struggling today to follow Jesus, let me encourage you. Pick up a Bible and start reading. Get to know this Jesus. Look what happens on verse 28. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. It would have been rude for Jesus to like assume that he was going to stay with them. Verse 29. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it was as he reclined at the table that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But, the, but he disappeared from their sight. It is through divine proclamation and divine help because Jesus takes the position of the host and he breaks bread with them. And in that moment, they recognize him. God lifts the veil from their eyes. He reveals the identity of who Jesus is to them. So notice this. They needed both the scriptures and they needed fellowship with Jesus. It's not good enough just to know this book. You may know it. You may have read it a hundred times. But unless you know the Savior that it proclaims, that means nothing. Look at verse 32. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? When Jesus left, they realized that they were passionate about what he was teaching. They wanted to know more about this. Is this not the Christian life? We have tasted how good God is in Christ. That we get to know him and trust him. Are you passionate about knowing Jesus? Are you passionate about knowing who he is? We can talk about the spiritual disciplines, reading, praying, memorizing scripture, but these are just a means to know your salvation. They're they're not a means to be saved. Reading isn't about accumulating knowledge. Reading the Bible is about investing into a relationship to know Jesus more and more every day. It's about investing in the union that you have with Christ and his people. As I said, if if you're struggling today, grab a Bible, start with a chapter, read with a friend, journal what you see, journal your observations, journal down, hey, this is what can apply to my life today. Also, though, when we talk about reading the Bible, we can't just talk about reading the New Testament and talk about reading the Old Testament. Right, because the Old Testament is what is informing the New Testament. It's what inform, informs the gospel account. And so we talk about reading the Bible, we're talking about reading all of it. And I know it can be confusing sometimes, but this is what we're called to, that we know God and God's plan for redemption through his word. If we want to truly know it, then we need to read it together. I want you to notice this. The revelation of Jesus does not come from an extraordinary experience for these disciples. It comes from knowing the scriptures and being with him. 
And as we grow closer in Christ, our desires grow. And our desire for Christ then changes into sharing about Christ. Look at verse 33. That very hour they got up and uh, returned to Jerusalem. These disciples did not soak in the glories of knowing that Jesus had been raised from the grave. But they, they actually shared it with their community. They found the eleven and those who were gathered together and who said, The Lord has truly been raised and he has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of bread. Opened eyes and burning hearts lead to open mouths. Opened eyes and burning hearts lead to open mouths. There's a lot that can distract us from proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors and to our family and to our friends. We have lots of things going on. But these, what we see here, these men, when they encounter Jesus, when they understand God's plan for redemption, they begin to talk about it. And if you're a guest today, we talk about sharing our faith a lot. We hope that's not weird for you, but we want you to know that Jesus is king of the universe and that we're called to share that news. And Because we believe it. We believe that because of what Jesus has done, that we are invited into his family and that you can be too. That you can be too. The Old Testament testifies. It points. Right? It predicts the death and resurrection of Jesus. Proving that he's the Messiah. Let's look at this final and third observation. We're going to look at verse 36. The gathered church proclaims his death and resurrection. We find the disciples here, and they're gathered together after the events of the crucifixion. I don't want you to think that they were waiting up in some room, just waiting to, to kind of figure out what they were doing. No, they were in shambles at this point. They did not know what to do. And so maybe the women's testimony, maybe some other things were going on, and they, they're gathered together. They're trying to scrap for hope. The gloom and disappointment and unbelief, it still sits like a cloud on top of them. And we're going to see their unbelief turned to proclamation. Look at verse 36. And as they were saying these things, this is the disciples who had came to them from Emmaus. He himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and though thought they were seeing a ghost. You can see their disbelief and their confusion again. Right? Luke says that they are terrified, they're afraid because they think he's a ghost. They must move from fear and doubt to faith and courage. Jesus asked them in verse 38, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus, in some ways, shows himself to his disciples because they needed the physical presence of their Lord. They needed him in this moment. And he says in verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. Right, so when Jesus says, look at, my, look at my hands and my feet, what he shows them is that there are holes there. And whatever that would look like, there was bone and flesh there. They see him. He's not a ghost. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He says, see my body. It is not in that grave. I am not a spirit or a ghost walking around. My body has been raised from the grave. And this is what Luke emphasizes for us. 
that his, he's not just disappeared, he's been raised. And, and Luke, he seeks to prove that the resurrected Jesus is fully human, fully flesh and bones. He is not an apparition. He is not a spirit just moving around. Now, you would think touching Jesus would be enough, right? Maybe. But just in case, look at verse 41. But while they were still amazed in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have something to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Ghosts do not eat fish. Ghosts don't eat fish. What is Luke saying? This Jesus is fully alive. Fully alive. Once again, these disciples needed Jesus to show them proof of the Scriptures. Right? He shows them, I have been raised. But look now at verse 44. He told them, these are my words I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Again, he says, remember my words. What I have preached and done in your sight is fulfilled in the Old Testament, is proclaimed in the Old Testament, and I am the fulfillment of that redemption. It is Christ. In this revelation, the Bible points us to know God and to know God's plan for redemption through the person and work of Jesus. There is no other plan. There's no other plan. God's word is clear. If you're struggling today with Submitting to Jesus because there's lots of religions today. Let me be very clear. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way. So either they're wrong or the Bible's wrong. There's only only two options there. It can't all be the same. Jesus is God's plan for redemption. And it's in this moment, gathered with Jesus, that the unbelief of the disciples washes away. But why? Why? They're gathered around the scriptures, and they're gathered around their Lord. The presence of Jesus, I might dare say, is most felt in community. The presence of Jesus, I might dare say, is most felt in community. Individually, you can know all the answers. You can know all the information. You can memorize all the verses. But the gathered community of Jesus is where the experience is for us. Where we get to know Jesus more. We get to know Jesus better. Are you carving out space to know him in a church family? If you're a guest, again, we take church membership seriously because we believe that it is how we grow in Christ. And we want you to to plug into a place where you can give your life away for the sake of the kingdom that you can be fully known by God and fully known by people who love you and care about you. This is what Jesus does. He spent three years with these people and he says to them, this is what it means. That I've been raised and now that you understand this changes everything. Do you carve out space for this in your own life? Is it a priority Right? Do you, in community, do you acknowledge your, your struggle with unbelief? Do you acknowledge the struggle to trust Christ over everything? Because at the end of the day, that's what, that's what happens when we sin. Is when we, when we believe that this thing is more important, or this thing is better for us than Jesus is. And we need the community around us to help us see that Jesus is greater. You cannot fight sin alone, and you cannot walk in this world alone. 
as I shared with you, the, the percentages of depression and anxiety are way up. I'm not a doctor or a scientist or a researcher, but I can probably tell you that isolation does not help that. We need each other to walk in this life, and this is where Jesus goes. He goes to the gathered community of Christ. But notice, notice what happens here. Fulfilled prophecy leads to faithful proclamation. Look at verse 46. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my Father has promised. And as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. I love this quote from Richard Dillon. He says this, Only when the resurrected Christ demonstrated the fulfillment of prophecy in himself did puzzled Easter onlookers become prospective Easter witnesses. Only in Christ did puzzled Easter onlookers become faithful, prospective Easter witnesses. Jesus looks like he's dead, right? But they, they don't remember. But just like these women and just like the Emmaus disciples, these, this resurrection demands a response. It demands proclamation. Jesus now, with the disciples gathered as a whole, he shares with them the news of what his resurrection means. That you can be forgiven of your sin. That if you trust in Christ, everything, all of your sin can be washed away when you trust Jesus Christ. There may be someone in the room today who's saying, I, Jesus can't forgive me. And that's not true. If that's you today, let me tell you, Jesus loves you. And he died for you. That's what Luke says. To die to give his life so that forgiveness can be proclaimed. You can know Jesus and you can have your sins washed away. Jesus offers this to you today. If you are not a follower of Christ, I beg you to consider his words today. For those of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, though we received the Holy Spirit, the promise to empower us to live the way Christ has called us to, we move from being passive receivers to active champions of the gospel message. There's, not, there's a thought here as we end today. Did you know that we can't 100% verify that Jesus' body was raised from the grave? We don't have 100%. Why? Because the body's not there and we don't know where it is, per se. Right? Jesus is not here physically with us today, so we don't, we don't have 100% evidence, do we? Right? Some say that this is enough to disprove the resurrection. You can't prove it, therefore it didn't exist. It didn't happen. But I don't think so. If we consider these disciples, I think we have a different observation. We cannot just have any old explanation of, of the disciples' response, though, right? If the disciples are the gathered community of God, and we know in the first century that they get, ended up giving their lives for the gospel message, Right? We cannot just have some easy explanation of why they did that. Right? We have to understand why. Why did they believe that Jesus was raised from the grave? Because that, that we can identify. That we can empirically and give evidence to. Why? Because all of them died. All of them were, all of them were martyrs. So what's, what's the deal? What's the difference? 
Jesus was Messiah. And it can't just be a possible explanation, right? It can't just be like, well, they just believed it, or that he appeared to them. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. It has to be an explanation that outweighs the power to overturn their disbelief. Right? It has to, has to overturn their expectations because Luke has said, these guys, they did not think that Jesus was rising from the dead. They were hopeless. What is powerful enough to accomplish this? What's powerful enough to change that they didn't believe Jesus was alive for them giving their lives for the gospel message? I'm convinced that it's nothing short of the resurrection itself. That Jesus is alive. The only thing that could overturn their gloom and despair and disappointment and unbelief was that the resurrected Jesus stood before them. That's the only explanation. Yes, we can go and look in, in Israel. We can go try to find a tomb. It doesn't matter. What we have is a testimony of people who gave their lives because they met the resurrected Messiah. It's the only thing that makes sense. There were many messiahs during that time who were, who were killed and their disciples dispersed. But these disciples, they gave everything for Christ. It shows us that this resurrected Messiah is real and he's true and he reigns today. Encountering the resurrected Messiah is intended to create a witness to what has happened to the resurrection. Those who recognize Jesus are, as the resurrected Messiah become his witnesses because they've experienced something so great that they've been brought from death to life. And that's the difference. What about you? What about you today? His witness to the world are so good because they have his presence. Do you know Jesus? Do you remember his words? Do you see who he is in the gospel accounts? Do you see how the Bible has testified to him? Have you experienced Christ in the church in ways that you can't even explain because he loves you? Or do you need to know that this Jesus has been raised today? I don't want to leave here today without offering you an opportunity to trust this Jesus. This is why we're here. That we may know him and trust him and give our lives to him. And it's this Jesus who showed up 2,000 years ago to the fishermen that he made disciples and to the women that was with him and to, to those we know that there's over 500 that he appeared to. Why? Because he offers forgiveness and sins in a relationship with God. I ask you today to consider that. Will you pray with me? God, we need you to help us. As Luke has shared, we need the resurrection story to tell us about the beauty and the glory of our risen Messiah. We need you, Lord, to help us know the truth that Jesus has been raised. God, we're so thankful that we have a Messiah that is not dead. We don't have a prophet who is dead. We don't have witnesses who are dead. We have the witness, Christ crucified, who has given himself for us, who has been raised from the dead, who now reigns as king over all things. Jesus, it's to you that we offer our lives to 
We're thankful today. We ask these things in your name. Amen.